0: Welcome to another episode of Real Talk with Bella. We are super excited, number one, to be back at the office.
1: For the first time. In, for the
0: first time after this month. Oh, good for you. Yeah, <laughs> We haven't seen each other. <laughs> so we're filming, uh, yeah, we're filming for the first time in like almost four months back in studio. And of course, I'm joined by Bella's publisher, Phyllis. Wow. And um, also joining us today is Dr. Delvina Thomas, who is going to talk to us about something really important, which is why we wanted to have her on today's show. I personally am a huge advocate of mental health. And um, I personally have suffered from depression um, from a very early, uh, young age and have, you know, sought therapy as a teenager and then as a young adult, and then went through a cycle of postpartum depression with the birth of my first son. Um, so I understand the importance of getting, you know, some help and some support. Uh, given, I mean, I don't even know what to call the the moment in time that we are uh, currently in. Um, I mean, the the turmoil, the pain, the sadness, the loss—not uh, just from COVID, but also we are currently living in uh, a very. Um, I don't want to use the word aggressive, but I mean, it, it just, it's a, it's a racial divide and we keep seeing, um, these conversations, these topics, these situations, protests, uh, riots happening. Um, how do we, uh, cope? How do we deal? If you could first uh, start by introducing, uh, uh, yourself, doctor, uh, and you know, we can go from there.
2: Okay. All right. Wow, so um, thank you for having me on and brain love, you know, that's my, um, I consider myself a wellness warrior and my motto is brain love because I want people to understand that we're all on a spectrum. We all have mental health difficulties, challenges, problems, and at some point in our lives, we've all met the criteria for like an anxiety disorder or a depressive disorder, which are the two most common mental health problems worldwide. So depression, anxiety, they are more common than things like high blood pressure, than diabetes, than cancers. One in four people, depending on the studies you look at, one in four people, one in five people suffer from anxiety and or depression at some point in their life. Um, and, And so, and I like the word that you use, aggressive. It is aggressive out here. There's a lot of aggression. There's a lot of unrest. There's a lot of Unhappy, discontent people who I think some of them feel um, they're disappointed in the things that's happening in the country. There are some people who may have feel who may feel betrayed now because of. Situations are not what they thought they were. You know, I think a lot of people are disappointed in our government and how things were handled with COVID and how things are now being handled with social injustice, the racism, the systemic racism. So there's a lot of aggression out here. People don't know what to do, but what they're feeling. Um, I just wanted to put that out there that I thought aggression was a very appropriate word for what's happening right <laughs> now. <laughs> I didn't, because yes.
0: I try not to. Um, you know i i don't i don't like to create like shock or chaos you know where, where it isn't uh called for because that's just not you know the type of outlet that we are however um you know i have personally have gotten into some heated discussions you know uh, on social media i've gotten into heated discussions with family members you know trying to um to understand because i think a lot of what is happening is um, I mean, I, and this is my perspective. I think that what is happening now is just, you know, we have a bigger microscope. These issues aren't new. Uh, systemic racism didn't just happen, you know, with the with the death of, with the murder of George Floyd. You know, this has been something that has been happening uh, systematically. That's why it's called system- systematic racism um, in this country for um, forever, since as far as I can remember, because I remember being nine years old when I had my first encounter as a person of color myself with... Uh, you know, with someone who questioned my skin color. And that was when I learned that my skin color was something that I would have to uh, defend. Well, defend for the rest of my yes. life. Correct. And I always, when I tell that story, I tell people, you know, I was nine years old, like what nine year old kid wants to in that moment in time, like I was playing with Barbies and that person completely just shifted my perspective of of my worldview right it was something that i you know had to like put on an armor and say hey you know i'm here um and i matter so um but to go back on um because okay first we were dealing with covid um how mixed and coupled with you know the 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 racial tensions the discord um what is something that we can um if we haven't sought support, because I know I have, uh, because I know how important it is, because you touched on something that, uh, statistically very important, which I, I think a lot of people don't, um, give themselves the opportunity to seek mental health, uh, you know, support, uh, but they will get, you know, the pills for the diabetes and the heart disease, but mm-hmm. mental health, which is something that, um, is, I think even more important to, because, right? It's like, you know, we, we are encountering emotions, feelings on a on a daily basis with ourselves, with other people. Um, what do you think that is that there's still um, this, like, like the stigma yeah. around getting mental health uh, support?
2: And so, and I'll go back to your first question, which was introduce myself. I was just so <laughs> yeah. excited about this, you know, conversation about the aggression in, in our country and just how we're Um, displaying and sharing our emotions. I wanted to address that first. Um, So I'm Delvina Thomas, a board certified psychiatrist. I own DRT Behavioral Services, where um, it's a private practice where we provide um, and we deploy different types of um, modalities to address mental health problems or issues with the brain, whether it's depression, anxiety, um, people who have had strokes, um, any type of neurologic dysfunction, mainly mental health. Um, So medication management, psychotherapy, whether it's for individuals, for couples. Also, um, we're going to start group psychotherapy virtually because a lot of the plans are now reimbursing. Um, Well, they're continuing to reimburse for the virtual sessions. Um, And then we also have like a wellness spa that's associated with our office um, where we do massages and facials, laser hair treatment for melanated skin. We have a weight okay. loss program
0: with you after this call.
1: All good for mental health. <laughs> all good for
2: mental health. Yes. Yeah, all of those things are important because there are so many things that you have to do um, to just live and to live, uh, to have a balanced, happy life. Prior to starting my private practice in 2014, um, I was working for the Bureau of Prisons, So I worked for the Federal Detention Center in downtown Miami as their chief psychiatrist. For about eight years, I was also the um, medical director, supervising the medical department for the last three years that I was there. Um, I've also been in the U.S. Army Reserves um, since 2003, which is when I graduated medical school. Right before starting my residency, I joined the Army. Um, I'm currently a lieutenant colonel, and I do the same thing in the Army, which is medical <laughs> management. Oh,
0: my God. No, like you are so, it's unbelievable. Keep going, but keep going, because I'm sure oh, you
2: <laughs> you no, know, I just, um, I'm, I'm very, and, and, and it's not to boast or anything, but I've just been in a lot of different environments where um, people have been pushed to their limits. So I, I'm well adapted at helping people and assisting them in living. Um, so, you know, working with inmates, but also working with the officers who are there. Um, being in the military, I've been on three deployments. I've been to Iraq, to Afghanistan, to Kuwait. And these are situations where people are pushed to their limits, especially when they're trying to maintain a family back home in America. They're married, you know, there's some sort of marital discord and they can't face to face see their loved ones. Um, And at certain times that we were deployed, we didn't have access to the internet and um, to be able to FaceTime and use our phones the way that we use them now. So people, uh, we're really stretched thin in terms of emotions and and their abilities to to cope while being in a war. Um, so all of those things matter when you're sitting down with patients. Um, in addition, we provide service services to law enforcement. So we see police officers here. We do a wellness class, we've done one for North Miami Beach, um, also also for North Miami where we talk to officers about mental health and mental illness and what that looks like if they're out in the community but also for themselves just so that they can live healthy lives too because you know they're under a lot of stress doing a job every day where you don't know if you encounter someone um, that's you know threatening your life um just being able to protect our communities and just protect and serve and they themselves are um first responders so we, uh, we try to assist in many ways so that people have a healthy lifestyle from a mental health standpoint. And prevention is one of those things that we also push on a regular basis because in our society, we're so used to being a reactive society as opposed to being proactive, teaching people, communicating, showing them different ways to live and to be healthy. So that's that. Our-
0: No, I mean, you are obviously very capable um, in, I mean, wow, like I am blown away by your curriculum. Like it's like unbelievable. Uh, But at the same time, um, I guess because I've been on the other side of therapy and understand, um, you know, how much it has not just helped me, but it's helped my family. Like something that I advocate for um, practically, you know, on a day-to-day basis when I have conversations with people, you know, just because I, I too believe that this is something that should be normalized because, um, you know, going back to my, um, my previous question about the stigma, why L, why is there still, um, like, we know, we know that this is important. Um, but why is there still a stigma around, um, you know, getting professional mental health, um, assistance? Why is there still, um, just, I, I and I don't even know if resistance is the word, but maybe it is because maybe we don't want to acknowledge that there's something, you know,
1: going on. I was going to um, say, I think too, like, I'm also a huge advocate of therapy. Um, and it took me a while to be able to say that. And I was one of those people. Well, if I'm admitting that I want to go to therapy, then I'm admitting something's wrong. You know, I should be able to handle it on my own. And I still, to this day, talk to people who, well, why would, why would you want to go to therapy? Yeah. I mean, every everyone probably needs to get (laughs) some therapy therapy. at some point um and i think people are scared to admit that there's a problem or that they're feeling a certain type of way and like you said you know i have a i have a really dear friend natasha actually who wrote um, an amazing blog on depression and how it's an imbalance in your brain and you wouldn't apologize for you know having diabetes and needing to take a medication for it you shouldn't have to apologize for you know feeling depressed or anxious um and i think therapy is such a great thing. It saved my life multiple times. I can definitely
0: say that, you know, as a, as a young teenager who was just lost, um, you know, it brought me back to myself. And then as a young adult, like it just reminded me again, like, you know, of who I was. And, um, and then as a new mom, it, it, it really just, um, demystified, you know, these, crazy thoughts that I had in my head of because my, my anxiety with my son and I and I've always said, you know, I've never had anxiety, but in that moment I think that's the worst I had ever been, where I would make myself physically, uh I would literally like cripple myself because I wanted to, um I, I didn't feel capable of keeping my son alive. Like that was my my thing. I felt I always felt like anything that I would do would hurt him. Um I would wake up in the middle of the night to check if he was breathing. Um I would feed him, I would even, there was a moment where I would have him sleep on top of me because it was like the only way that I felt that I could keep him safe. Um, And it was crazy. It was just, and my husband was like, what, at what point is this kid going to be, you know? uh, Yeah. And, and it was just my belief that I was an awful mother, that, you know, that I, I just had all these crazy thoughts in my head. Um, But through therapy and through help and support. I actually went through like a new mom support group. So the fact that you're doing virtual support groups is really, really um, great to hear because Mm -hmm. um, when you talk to other people who have similar thoughts as you do, then you realize like, oh, it's not just in my head. Other people go through this and we can have like the normal conversation.
2: Yeah, it normalizes it to know that you're not on an island by yourself. Um, And it's, you know, you guys mentioned the word taboo, People are embarrassed about mental health, mental illness because they feel like it means they have a defect. Um, and the reason why some people regard it as such is because of how we've viewed mental illness in our country for so long. You know, it's not something that we have been teaching people in school. Um, we have phys ed and we talk about sex education, but. Um, I know I graduated high school in 1994. So going through, um, you know, my education of elementary school and junior high and high school, it's not a class that you received because it's something that people wanted to keep hidden, right? And so it's not until recent really that probably I would say in the last 10 years, where people are starting to say like, listen, we have a problem in our country and we have to talk about these things more. It came from different um, organizations, different um, agencies, the military had to address it because of all of the suicides of veterans and also um, service members who are currently in the military. So they had to say something about that. And then of course you have the celebrities who have been um, killing themselves or attempting suicide. Um, I think Robin Williams was one that was really just, you know, just threw people. There have been many celebrity suicides where people um, were, you know, just shocked and and, and surprise
0: really shocked me. And Kate Spade also was something that I was just floored by because yeah, that was one of favorite, Kate Spade, yeah. you assume that people have, you know, everything figured out. And because they've, you know, accomplished this level, level of status. And right. the reality is that if you are unhappy, and it's, you know, if, and I, like, I still have these conversations with my husband, myself, <laughs> where I'll pull away at some points, I have this need to just be by myself, uh, you know, on occasion, just because I need to kind of, it's, it's a I guess it's a way for me to decompress, where I either just, read a book, you know, where there's like no outside, um, distraction or, in, or, yeah, yeah, or unplug unplugged. and mm-hmm. it's my self-care. Right. Mm-hmm. And in the beginning, initially in our marriage, he never understood it. He's like, well, why would, don't you want to be with me 24 seven? And I'm like, yeah, because I need to, at some point I need to, and it cost friction for us. Um, there until he finally like understood that it was something that I needed to just reset, like rewire. I always I call it. I need to reset. I got to rewire <laughs> the crazy monkeys in my head. I got to go and, and, you know, I got to go for, you know, a manicure and a pedicure, or, or I got, it's so honestly, so, um, incredible to hear that that's something that you offer as part of your practice, because I, I honestly don't think people understand that those little things that we do for self-care are a huge part of our mental health. And, um, I, I also, I mean, we crave it. We need it. We, we, and, and that's our body telling us that it's time to
2: stop and um,
0: right. you know, reset for
2: sure. Yeah. You have to determine for yourself what, what's therapeutic for you, what allows you to unplug, what allows you to reset so that you can start all over again, you know, and especially when I say, I call it being on a thousand, when you're just, you know, we want to kind of hang out here, but when things happen, when there's a lot of stuff going on, when you're multitasking, you're being a mother, being a wife, being a sister, being a daughter, helping out with mom, helping out with dad, you got to do your job, you got to, and some people are in school also, you have to find a way where you can get some sort of reprieve, where you can just relax, be to yourself, just sort of dig deep, um, and so, and just do some self-reflection. Those things are important because you can't just um, just stay on you know, cruise control and just Endure all these different types of stressors all day long, every day, and not stop and pump your brakes and just say, Okay, let me pull over and fill up again. You know, I need some more gas. I tell people you can't um, give away everything to everyone and not leave anything for yourself, right? So, if you're continuously doing everything for everyone else and you don't do anything for you, you have nothing left over for you and then you don't have anything to to offer those other folks also. And it's okay to say to people, look, I am overwhelmed. I can't help this time. There is power in saying no. Yeah. There's power yeah. in saying no. Oh, wait, so,
0: no is a complete sentence. I learned that. Not to, <laughs> no, it's a complete sentence. I mean, and, like, and, I'm, and I'm done.
2: And you like, an excuse. Yeah, it's no. I, just, and I don't, like, even, I don't like, have to give you an excuse. Like, I just can't do it. Because yeah. that's the other part that stresses people is, oh my God, I can't do it, but what am I going to tell her? Why? What am I going to tell I, And I tell them, you don't have to tell them anything. Yeah. This is you protecting you. As long as you continue to say yes, people will tap you out. They will yeah. continue to tap you. So it's all of these little things that lead up and accumulate to become one big thing that sort of just sometimes pushes people over the edge. You know, it's kind of the setup for the, the perfect storm. So, and going back to that whole thing about taboo, it's because we don't, we never talked about mental illness before. You didn't really see a whole lot about it. But now that people are talking about it, educating one another, sharing their experiences, it's becoming okay. And once it becomes okay, that's when people won't feel the embarrassment and they'll actually seek help also. Um, and the other tap, uh, part about that with the taboo is that families discourage it. Some families will say, what's wrong with you? Or, oh, you can't handle it, you know, or we don't have mental illness in our family.
0: When I was realizing that I was going through postpartum and, you know, my mom, God bless her soul, but it was a conversation that was like, she looked at me like I had 10 hands. What do you mean you have postpartum depression? We don't we don't have that here. Um, and it was like, yeah, no, ma, like I, I really need, um, some help and some support, but, um, and then she understood it, that it was like, I was tapped out. I was making myself crazy. Um, and, um, yeah, I mean, it's really, um, I just think it's just so necessary, uh, for people to, to really understand how important This is for our happiness because you've mentioned that several times. And you also said before, though, you know, the creation of the perfect storm, which I think we're kind of in it. I think we're all in this storm um, in one way or the other, whether it was the effects of COVID taking a toll on not just our personal lives, but our businesses, um, families. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm sitting here right now with you. Uh, trying to play it cool, calm, and collected, but I have several family members who have tested positive, and they live in another country. And my mind is going to my mom, who has like the perfect, you know, it, it is like per- the perfect candidate to to get it because she has, you know, that she's a diabetic, she has heart disease. So I'm it, every day. I'm literally calling her, making sure that she's staying home, that she's taking care of herself. In the country with the other family. Members? Dominican Republic. Yes. Oh, okay. So, you know, had I had her here, she'd be locked in her room.
1: (laughs) And I think, too, it's not even just, I mean, the fear, obviously, of of the virus potentially contracting it, your family contracting it, but there's a lot of, at least, I mean, I felt confusion. Vanessa knows I don't like to not know the answers and have structure. Mm -hmm. And I think there's so much up in the air, whether it's you know, I'm um, I'm out she, of work. She's my perfect control, yeah. <laughs>
0: control freak here. <laughs> so, so this is
1: this is hard for me in the unknown, where I think a lot of people are struggling. Either you know I'm out of work, and I don't know when you know things will be back to normal. Or we have seen recently, you know, things have started to open up, and maybe we're resuming some kind of normalcy. And then literally just yesterday, it was like, nope, we're gonna pop the brakes on that. Yeah. And it's like well, when is this over? And when is there going to be some kind of relief or answer? And I think the unknown is what's so scary about it all.
2: Yeah. So, you know, that element of uncertainty, whether it's, you know, regarding COVID, a relationship, um, a family member being ill, whatever it is, uncertainty is that thing that provokes anxiety in most people. And so the way that we address that is being comfortable with not knowing. So we just have to teach ourselves to be comfortable with being in the moment, living in the moment, and not forecasting for next week or a few days from now or even next month. Obviously, we have to plan for certain things, right? So I'm not saying not to plan ahead, but for things we have no control over or things where um, we just have to wait and see what happens, we have to embrace the uncertainty and just know that and, and just, you know, pretty much wish and hope for the best and know that things will be OK and that you're doing the things to keep your, yourself and your family safe. You know, you're practicing the hygiene um, um, models, you're, um, you're executing those models, you're wearing your mask when you're out in public, you're not going out to the bar, you know, so certain things we just have to wait on and just sort of I tell people sit still. So that uncertainty is is really making a lot of people feel threatened. But it's just a matter of, um, I can't say it enough, but patience really is a virtue when it comes to a lot of things. And it helps us to just, to just sort of feel calm and just feel okay and accepting of what's happening around us. That's the only thing you can do. The only thing you can control is your response or your reaction um, to these things that are
1: <laughs> With that, yeah. I, Hey, I said, I'm an advocate of, of therapy and trying to... Meditation things. helps to get you there
0: uh, <laughs> because I, something that I've been practicing from a very early age was, has been meditation. And it's something that I've actually um, taught my children to do when they need to kind of tap into that, those moments of um, just getting calm and bringing themselves back to the present moment. Um, I, I practice a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, being in a state of allowance it's just kind of like what I can't control I can't control and what I can um, I will do my best Uh, but that's really and it's a dance that takes years to kind of like master but you have to like practice it in order for you and and I'm still not like 100% there yet because there are but for the most part I'm pretty chill yes Very right back.
1: I'll be the one freaking out. She's like, it's going to be okay.
0: It's going to be fine. <laughs> uh, well, it, uh, my thing is it, it is what it is, right? Like it is what it is and this is what we can do. So what can, what can we do right now and what, you know, and everything else, if it doesn't depend on us, then we really can't have no uh, control over that. But right. with regards to, um, cause you mentioned earlier, you know, the reactiveness, um, and the state of reactiveness that, um, many of us are in, um, and and maybe it's just a way that we process, you know, information or things that happen on a um, just on a general level. Because, you know, I guess to a certain extent, COVID, while it's happening to everyone in the world, um, there are certain things that you can do to control it within your own environment. However, this racial tension and um, this um, aggression and this unhappiness, I mean, it is because it's even. Um, to the point where, you know, I think we're, we're turning even to our significant others and having, you know, these conversations. I know that I, uh, personally, you know, have had very, uh, powerful conversations with my, with my husband, because there are things that he didn't fully grasp about systematic racism. And then I was sitting there kind of going like, but I told you so, I, you know, like I've been telling you this for years. I, I've been telling you that this exists. I've been telling you that I've been treated differently when, um, you know, I've gone here or gone there, or people ask me, you know, to verify or, or give proof uh, of ownership. You know, I've had those instances, instances happen and just because it hasn't happened to you doesn't mean you can invalidate my experience. Like that's been my experience. Um, but what, I mean, there, there's a lot in that issue itself, but where do we even begin? Right. Um, because there's a lot of talk about, you know, the discomfort of these conversations that we're having. And I guess we could say it's also sitting in, in uncertainty, right? Like learning to, uh, get comfortable with the uncomfortable, uh, because that's really what I feel is going to continue to move us forward.
2: Yes. Yep. And um, and education. You know, knowledge is power. I think um, two things is educating one another um, and ensuring you have more control over what happens in your household than you do what your neighbor's doing, what your coworker is doing. So take control of your household and sharing information, like how you share with your husband, Um, sharing our experiences with our children, sharing history. You know, we have to share that history with them so that they have a reference point so they can understand, you know, why all of these things in the country are happening and why the world is so upset about, about this stuff you know, what is slavery? Did we have slavery here? How long were people enslaved? What happened after slavery? Um, And really allowing them to see, do the research and see the statistics. And I think some people are in denial about what um, a certain population of people, brown and black people were saying about the injustices. I mean, we had um, certain provisions in place for a reason in America where people were had to hire so many, it's called affirmative action. It's no longer um, something that is a rule or a regulation or um, a law, but it was something that occurred, I believe in the eighties and the nineties where affirmative action allowed for so many um, people who were minorities, Latina and um, African-American, to, be, to gain entrance into certain schools and to work for certain agencies and to be promoted upward because for so long we were discriminated against. And so education, sharing experiences, talking about history and teaching our children history because unfortunately, there's so much American history and world history to teach that schools feel like they don't have time to basically target a certain group. So we have to take those matters into our own hands. So I think that's a big part of it. Um, There are certain people um, of the majority, white people who really didn't know certain things have happened in our country. And it's almost like, you know, because in their household, it wasn't talked about because it's not an experience personal to them, right? So they never knew. So they could never, um, their opinion was never based on um information that involved the nation and the country and other people besides just their own family and and friends their white friends so certain things they didn't know so how can you expect someone to feel a certain amount of empathy when they don't have when they're not they don't have access to certain knowledge or information so that's going to be important moving forward it's just educating one another and sharing information um, and so that way people can gain an appreciation for the struggle, basically.
0: I, um, I'm so glad you said that, uh, because this is a conversation that I've had, you know, even with family members, uh, my husband is from Iowa. So I married a very white boy. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> the reality is that, you know, um, race, obvi- I mean, I obviously know his family is not racist and because, you know, we're, we're, we're going on, uh, on 15 years. So it's not like, however, um, you know, when I've shared and it actually happened, I was, I was with them a couple of weeks ago, um, or just last week, uh, away visiting family. And we were just sharing stories and conversations because this topic is unavoidable. And I, um, just happened to, you know, their, to their point, it was, but this doesn't happen here. You know right. things don't happen here. We've never experienced this here. And I said, and I one, and I said I have never been to an establishment in Iowa where I have felt um, mm-hmm. different or where I have felt discriminated upon. Um, mm-hmm. It's been nothing but welcoming and. Um, and just love all around, you know, my, my husband's family is kind of like one of those families that in their small town, everybody kind of knows. So maybe I had that to, you know, to, to my advantage, but in a sense, I've never felt different. Um, and I, and I had never been treated differently, but then when I said, and I started sharing, you know, but guess what, when I go back to New York or when I go back, you know, this happens to me, um, and their their disbelief was genuine, because they were like, but if we would never, like, I can't imagine treating someone that way. Or I can't imagine hearing someone here uh, say something like that to someone. And I'm like, "And it ha- but it happens, and it's happened. But, and I, I think I left with the, I, I, I left the conversation with, but you have to realize that because I'm telling you, me, and I am part of this family, you need to like validate that experience and understand that it actually does happen and it has happened to me and if you ever do see it happening around you you know i guess your responsibility there is just to stop it from the moment that you know before it even begins um but to their credit i mean if mom in case you're
2: listening we love you and (laughs) (laughs) Um, And i'm sure that town embraced you not just because it was a small town and they knew that you were the daughter-in-law they embraced you because i mean iowa is just not historically it's not one of those places where there were white black divides so yeah. that's not yeah. their culture necessarily yeah. out west you and, know? And,
0: and and the thing is you know the conversations that i had even with you know other family members it was just shock and disbelief like we can't understand why this because again it doesn't happen here it doesn't so i guess that's where we are Ad, right? Where you have a great amount of people who have never, um, experienced, dealt with, um, knew that things like Selma, uh, uh, like Tulsa, like, um, uh, I, I oh my God, in Florida, we're a uh, green, Greenwood um i can't remember the, the exact name of the town but there was also another community in florida mm-hmm. that was burned to the ground um mm-hmm. with the exact same story as tulsa which is devastating um and you know if you're listening and you're and you're taking notes to this podcast you know these are things that we should all be made aware of to
2: to really understand where the pain the hurt and the frustration. Another um, history of our country, you yeah, know, because yeah. this is not just a black issue. This is an American issue. We all live here, yeah. so and and um, African Americans were really um, for 400 years the main reason why the economy they were able to build things and they were be, they were able to um, um, you know have produce and farming and all of these things because it was basically. Um, on the black, on the backs of black people and African Americans, because we were the labor force, we were the free yeah. labor force as enslaved people. Yeah. So all of these places in the South, you know, mainly up to the Mason-Dixon line, um, they did partake in slavery, and that was basically their their labor line. That slaves were who they used to get jobs done and to um, to accomplish work goals and and business goals. So that's a very long time. It is
0: but what, what would you say? Uh, because this is a question that I've seen circling around social media and just other people that I've had conversations with is, you know, but I'm not responsible for what happened 400 plus years ago. Like what, how do you even begin to address that?
2: (laughs) And I Yeah, yeah. So obviously, the people who are here today are not responsible for what happened in the 16th century, what happened in the 17th century, what happened in the 18th century, what happened in the 19th century, what happened after 1865, you know, the Emancipation Proclamation and then the lynchings and the Jim Crow and the civil rights era. Yes, uh, but we're all descendants of those events. We're all descendants of those of that time. And so if we become complacent with some of what has been in front of our faces, meaning the killing of black men and boys by police officers and excessive use of force, we see it all over the news now because of social media, because of the body cams, because of smartphones and cell phones, and you know, being able to take video footage, people oftentimes don't want to, it's uncomfortable, right to engage a problem it is it's uncomfortable to engage it it's uncomfortable um, to try to understand it because it's it's a lot of negative energy understandable so some people um to avoid it they just don't they don't want to talk about it they don't want to know about it they just sort of kind of turn a blind eye they look the other way um but we are, all, we are all responsible for what happens in the country. We are a one nation. And so obviously, we're not responsible for the things that happened previously because we weren't those people. However, complacency and not doing the right thing and not speaking up when we see injustices, we are responsible for that. Yeah. We are responsible for allowing racism. When other countries who are on the other side of the world are speaking out, and demonstrating and, you know, yeah, to, to that point, that's something
0: that really, um, obviously moved me to, um, you know, even to be, I mean, I I've always said, you know, I've always been an advocate for this cause because I am an embodiment of, you know, what, um, two races coming together actually can produce, uh, and, and looks like so are my children. Um, you know, I, I was telling someone the other day, I said, you know, I don't have the concern of my, of what a black child, uh, child's mother has because both of my kids are white. Um, you know, uh, they look white anyway, but when they, when, but I, but I have been stopped. I have been, um, you know, uh, I, I've mentioned this several times to my team. I said, you know, when my kids were born, my oldest had very blonde hair and incredibly like bright blue eyes. And I had to, Carry their birth certificates with me at all times because I would get stopped. To, because if
2: uh, not, people probably thought you were the the nanny. Uh, many, many, <laughs> times,
0: many times. Um, and
2: was, with yeah.
0: And it was literally like, what are you doing? Are they yours? Did you adopt them? Like, I would get oh. things like that. And I remember telling my husband, I'm like, that's been the most dehumanizing thing, conversation that I've ever had to have with someone. Absolutely. Because people just don't understand genetics. Like, it doesn't really work in the favor of, uh, you know, I guess you, right? I I guess in a sense, my thing was, you know, I wanted one of my kids to look like my dad, but I I didn't get that, (laughs) you know? Uh, Again, genetics do not work that way. Um your,
2: your husband has dominant genes. That's all yeah. that means, you know? Correct. Because whatever we express is it's an expression of the dominant gene. What we look like, it's that gene that was more dominant. So for yeah. your children, they the genes they inherited from the both of you, it was the husband who they're expressing.
0: They're super cute. And they're
1: they are super cute. <laughs> I think you know before I forget, I just wanted to say, and you touched on this a little bit. Um you know, people sometimes say, okay, well, what's just my one voice going to do and how am I going to affect change? Um, And I don't know if you shared it and it was floating around on social media and I saw something that said, you know, I'm just one voice. What am I going to do? And it was, well, your one voice affects your household's voice and your household's voice affects your community's voice and your community affects the state and the country and the government and so on. And it's if you think small, because I've had conversations with people where maybe they didn't see it until I gave them a different viewpoint. So mm-hmm. you might think, okay, well, what's my one little voice going to do? But you could be affecting someone else, yeah. who then in right. turn is affecting a bigger, larger scale. So it's a
2: domino effect. You have to start somewhere. Yeah,
1: yeah. And, and
2: with us as a as a as
0: a media company, you know, I um, in the beginning I wasn't. Um, I it, it wasn't a concern about um, doing the right thing. It was again, I guess. To a certain extent, it was the concern of how are people going to view us now moving forward? And I sat down, you know, and thought long and hard and I said, okay, but we've been doing and advocating for um, diversity and inclusion from the moment that I took ownership of it. Um, Mm -hmm. Now people are just going to like really know that, like what we really are about. And it's, it's always, it always goes to um, humanity first, being kind, compassionate, being, doing the right thing uh, and um, giving, you know, opportunities to people across the board. You know, obviously right now the demand is for people of color. We've been, you know, held down for uh, a very long time um, and, and and having to work harder uh, to get, you know, the equal opportunities that um, some of our other peers have had. Uh, if, um, you know, when people listen to this, if you go back to one of our racism po- podcasts, you know, I ha I was, um, really taken aback, you know, by one of our team members who was also a model that got rejected many times for work because she was a person of color. Um, we interviewed, uh, Tyson Beckford the other day and something that he shared was super, um, moving to me was that he would show up for castings that literally said looking for white blue-eyed blonde men and he'd be like well I'm here <laughs> I'm here for the job like yeah so like hello you know and it, it worked. worked and it yeah. worked so I guess you know I mean to and I mean, there's no easy way to kind of like wrap this up and like give people something like actionable to do right now. But for anyone who is listening, what would be, um, you know, one thing you could say for them to just get started? Number one, in dealing with the stressors that this whole situation may be, uh, how, how this may be affecting them. But and and the second, I think, would be, you know, if somebody comes like, at us with um you know the aggression or because they have uh because they have um you know how like what do we what do we say how do we diffuse that situation uh but also but more importantly how do we deal how do we cope with um the
2: stressors cuz they're there so what do you mean by before i answer that question what do you mean by people have come to you with the aggression uh telling us
0: to stop promoting you know conversations about racism conversations about white privilege i actually wrote uh an article because we're collaborating with an organization called tolerance.org which is um uh, stems from the the southern poverty law center based out of alabama and they've been doing this for 30 something plus years where they're teaching educators how to bring these social issues to the classrooms Mm -hmm. um, which i used to be a former teacher so for me when you say education, I'm right there with you because I 100% um, agree with that, that it starts there. It starts with, because ed- racism, discrimination, hate is all, it's all a learned behavior. Like you don't, you, you aren't born, um, you know, hating people. You, you learn that. Um yeah. So, um, I wrote a piece about, um, and actually making a reference about unpacking the invisible knapsack. And I don't know if you've uh, heard of the article. And it was like, it was the first time in 1988 when this, uh, educator wrote that essay about white privilege, which is the first time that, you know, the United States actually spoke about what, um, what that was. And it's as something as simple as walking into a CVS and finding products that work for you that mm-hmm. you know when a, a white person can typically find everything they need when to when they walk into a CVS mm-hmm. um an african american person a black person uh, a latina person won't necessarily have that luxury that something as simple as that uh you know will be uh is considered um white privilege so how do we you know address that because you know the i, I i'm not going to say that there have been Multiple attacks, but there have been a few, and I, you know, I do. I try to diffuse it with asking more questions and trying to get back to the core of the conversation. Like, why are you asking me to stop, um, or what is it that you want us to stop? Um, like, but what do we? How do we respond to that?
2: Yeah, I mean, we'll never be able to please everyone, right? So, <laughs> if you don't talk about it there will be the people who say this is your perfect opportunity to talk about it mm-hmm. you know i don't know what the rest of your staff looks like but it sounds like you guys are multicultural yeah. um so you'll There's have that from
0: different countries different colors i mean there it's it's the united nations over here so uh,
2: <laughs> yeah you have to stand for what you represent yes. and what someone else is saying if it's not a part of your if, if it's not um, in your objectives, if it doesn't align with what you're doing, then that's too bad for them. You can't please everyone. So the first thing is just knowing and, and empowering you and your staff and being comfortable with having those conversations, being comfortable with providing this type of education and engaging these talks. This is what you represent. So you can't hide from what from who you are.
0: No. And I and I won't. <laughs> and I won't.
2: People see that on display yeah. with your team being so diverse. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's obvious like and water is wet obviously we're going to have these conversations so and you shouldn't be apologetic about that or feel like you owe anyone an explanation because you don't um if they don't like it then you know the rest so you know you can't please everyone and there's some people yeah, there's some people who don't want um to see or hear these discussions because they want things to be the same they want white power they want white privilege they don't want America to advance and um, and become more knowledgeable, knowledgeable and comfortable with the differences, the things that make us different, but also make us the same. So some people are just enjoying the drama. Um, this is also what they like. Um, there are races. That's just how it is, and they're in every aspect of the government, in every level of the government, in the justice system, and and so when you think about it, the history of the country that's, that's the basis of this, this country starting with Christopher Columbus and the native Americans who were here. And so, and, you know, I won't go into that whole historical uh, <laughs> viewpoint, but the country is basically is based on privilege and power. Yeah. So um, you deal with that just by doing what you're passionate about and just, just continuing to do what you know is right. And it's in your heart. Um, and then that's the whole segue to what you were saying about empathy and love and, and, um, you know, just being humane and caring about other people. So the way that we deal with everything that's happening in our country right now is to remember, smile through this. You have to smile. Smiling really does help us in many ways because not only does it make you look better, you get to display how beautiful you are in the smiling, but we actually increase Yes. Yes. My okay, girl, you're beautiful. <laughs> yes. I'm actually. I'm sitting here kind of laughing because I. I
0: told the girls at one point there was one day that I was trying to get. Um, just because it was like one of these down days that I was having and I literally just started to laugh hysterically to myself in the bathroom and I was just like laughing and I'm like oh my god from the outside in I may look like I'm having like a, a complete meltdown but it actually helped me like what I kept doing was just laughing and I just started to think about funny things to make myself because I think the 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 alternate reaction would have been to cry so I wanted to just you know, bring my energy up in that regard. So that's super helpful. I know that it has like an unconscious way of making us react.
2: Well, there's- it's more than that. There's yeah. a science behind it. There's there's some chemistry behind it. So you're jump starting basically your brain. When we smile, when we laugh, we release chemicals that make us feel better. We actually cause the brain to release chemicals that make us feel better. So there is, an, there is a science to it, and we know it from, from research. So smiling and laughter are important. So when people walk around every day, all day, and they're frowning, and you know, they're not allowing themselves to be happy, or they're not um, striving to achieve happiness or having that, that smile and that joy, um, they fare worse. So it feels good to us to smile and to laugh, so we should do that. We have to have love in everything that we do. And then the basics are very important when we're trying to address stress and cope with stress. The basics are drinking plenty of water, having a lot of water, (laughs) I have, you know, several cases of these to ensure that, you know, we have water all over the office. You got to hydrate your brain. 64 ounces or more. Like you don't have to start stop at 64. People think about water for your skin and your hair, but it's also for your brain. Our brain is mostly composed of water. So for our brain to do all of the things that it has to do all day long, we need to respect our brains more, right? Because it's helping us to talk, to feel, to laugh, to hug, to make a plan, to talk to our staff, to talk ourselves through certain, the brain is doing so much all day long, every day. And so you got to hydrate, you got to give your brain that fluid, that water, so it can fire off those neurons and make those chemicals the feel good chemicals to help with mood and stuff like that. What we eat is important to our mental health and our mental wellness. We have to have certain foods so that we can create those building blocks to make the dopamine, to make the serotonin, all of the things that we need for our mood and to prevent anxiety and nervousness. Um, Certain things should just be staples in our diets, like sweet potatoes and blueberries. Obviously, if you're not allergic, um, <laughs> like the good fish, you know the salmon, the spinach, the arugula, the Brussels sprouts, the asparagus. You know certain types of nuts and and grains and things like that. So what we eat, drinking plenty of water, exercise. That is the the best way naturally to help with stress and mood. And with that, sex can be a form of exercise. So not just intercourse, but just sort of intimacy. Yes, that's important for our moods and for stress also and to cope with uncertainty in the world. Having someone who cares about you and you care about them. Um, you know, if you're single or if you're not with someone or you're in between a relationship, don't hurry and rush and jump into a relationship because of what I'm saying. You can still get just that just do have anxiety sex. Anxiety. Like, make sure like, <laughs> oh, I don't want you to do that. Um, but, so yeah, you can still... Uh,
0: keep now, now that there's studies that saying that sex actually
2: can infect you with COVID. Like there's like a whole to-do with that. I mean, you, know. Not, yeah. you know, yeah. Obviously if you're in that person same space and you're swapping spit and kissing and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so yes, it can happen. But um yeah. so yeah, you gotta think about those things too. So yeah, if you're not in a relationship, don't haste makes a waste. But for people <laughs> <laughs> for people who are in relationships, tap into your resources, you know, create not just your significant other, but your support circle. I tell people all the time, like someone who is not healthy for you, someone who um you're always arguing with this person, there's always a challenge, you just feel uncomfortable around them. They don't deserve to be in your inner circle. You gotta push them out towards the outside. You gotta treat everyone appropriately, you gotta treat them accordingly. And yeah. so it should be seen as a privilege and this is what i think people don't do enough of they allow anyone to have their emotion their emotional energy their time it should be a privilege you should see it as a privilege to allow someone to be in your personal space to share your energy to have your energy and so that's the important part too you have to build if you don't already have it you know, my support circle, my circle is the SHIT, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> you could you could say it.
0: <laughs>
2: my well, mine is
0: my support true. circle I, is too. I have like, I one hundred percent agree with you on that because I've actually been um, you know, tagged obnoxious and uh I'm okay with that. Like my energy is so important and my uh my peace and mm-hmm. you know I don't share that I'm not, I don't, I do not make myself available to everyone. Um, it's, I have enough right. <laughs> um, there's enough to, to deal with to then right. also have to take on somebody else's, um, right. you know, drama, which is definitely not, especially like in the current times that exactly. we're
2: in. So, uh, you gotta what ask. what does that person bring to the equation for you? Right, because half of what we endure and um, and and the struggles that we have sometimes is brought on by other people. Yeah. So if those people they're not giving, there's no reciprocity. They're not providing um, positive vibes and good vibes, and I just wouldn't waste my time in in that situation. I just wouldn't. You know, what do you bring to the equation? What do you bring to our relationship? If it's always me that's balancing everything, then maybe we're just not a good fit. And I'm not talking about intimate relationships. I'm talking about with our associates, our friends, that sort of thing. I 100%
0: agree with that. So this has been, um, incredibly, um, powerful and just, I know that our yeah. listeners. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we talked about a lot. I would actually love to invite you back. Uh, and maybe we could have, you know, an episode two when, when things, um, things are starting to reopen now, but maybe, you know, we can go into just dealing and coping back to this new everybody wants to new say normal. it's our new normal uh however we wish to call that but I would love to invite you back uh and talk to us some more um and how can people find you we have an audience uh in in Florida so which which is where you're based out of correct
2: right. so,
0: Yeah. yeah so how can people find you how can people reach out um if they want to seek out your services
2: Sure, ladies, I'm so grateful. Thank you for spending a part of your afternoon with me because like I said, we have to really be careful who we share our time and energy with, so I'm grateful. Thank you, and Thank anytime time I come back on, I can. And I appreciate also your self-disclosure, both of you, and talking about your personal experiences with mental wellness. And it just lets everyone know that we're all human beings, we all have emotions, we all feel, and it's important to, to share those things so that people feel more comfortable about talking about it. So you're definitely helping in the endeavor to end the stigma. Um, but So people can find me. I'm Dr. Delvina, D-R-D-E-L-V-E-N-A. I have a website, which is Dr. Delvina, -delvina, dr Help, H-E-L-P. I'm also on social media as Dr. Delvina. I have a YouTube channel where I do um, what I call Therapy Thursday. We talk about all Topics. So, if you go on and you see something about clitoral stimulation, orgasm, sex, don't be surprised because I don't just talk about depression and anxiety. Um, I also have okay, a podcast. A like, okay, what was okay. this YouTube channel? Okay, I'm subscribing okay. Right, okay. right now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we have to talk about the the realness, and okay. it's um it's interesting. A lot of people are more drawn to those types of dialogues, and um and it shows in my YouTube channel with the views. They like the discussions about orgasms and relationships and you know all this other stuff yeah. whereas some of the things that we might deem more vital or important you know they may it's less popular but so anyway there's the youtube channel and i also have a podcast that's called the brain love podcast and it's on spotify and google podcasts and apple and hopefully it'll be on iHeartRadio radio soon so awesome
0: well, Great. thank you so thank much you. for your time. I, um, awesome. We are super grateful that you decided to spend some time with us today as well. And hopefully, we can get you back on sooner than later. Yay! Yeah. Thank, thank, you. You. thank you so much.
1: You're welcome. Thank you.